Hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. I'm Alicia here, great to have you back. I'm in Singapore, so it's uh, hotel recording standards and hopefully uh, my magic post-processing will help make it a little bit okay, but we'll do what we can. So lots of updates to catch up on, so without further ado, let me run you through some of the things that have been going on. Uh, so AWS Trusted Advisor. Now, I love AWS Trusted Advisor because it does a whole bunch of automated checks for you on your behalf to check that the uh, accounts you have set up are set up according to best practice and helps you track things like service limits, um, opportunities to save money, and security vulnerabilities. Now, there are two new checks now available uh, to check for public snapshots of EBS volumes and also of uh, RDS data as well. So this will detect if you've taken a snapshot of EBS volumes or RDS data and you've made it public. Now, you may want to have made it public because you want to share it explicitly, but what the AWS Trusted Advisor checks will do is show you which ones are public specifically. So you can track them down and make sure that's what you want. So you get an automated alert for that. So that's a good one to have. You get that automatically. Um, it's no additional charge. Um, and uh, you can also integrate this automatically with automated actions via Trusted Advisors integration with CloudWatch events. So if you've got business or enterprise level support, you can use that automation as well, which is pretty nifty. Now, a couple of updates to Amazon Workspaces that might be of interest to you. So Workspaces is, of course, the sort of desktop as a service capability where you could use uh, Windows 7 or Windows 10 desktop experience, both powered by Windows Server. Now you have the ability to try Amazon Workspaces at no charge for up to two months. So this is a good way for you to actually give it a go and see how it works. So it's got a free tier, which allows you to launch two standard bundle workspaces and use them for a total of 40 hours per month for up to two calendar months. Um, so you get obviously the Windows operating system. You also get uh, Internet Explorer 11, Mozilla Firefox 7-zip, and Amazon WorkDocs with 50 gig of storage as well. So that's a nifty little thing to have a look at. And speaking of Amazon Workspaces, there is now managed device authentication available to you as well. So this allows you to control access to the desktops based upon the client device operating system version or patch level which can help you meet compliance or security and regulatory policy compliance requirements. So basically what happens is you can now use digital certificates to manage client access for Apple OS X and Microsoft Windows. You can choose to allow or block access from iOS, Android, Chrome OS, web, and zero client devices. And you can implement policies to control what you want to allow and what you want to block all the way down to the patch level, which is typically what people want to do. They want to typically control whether the right generation of devices is accessing their workspaces. So this is now available to you, no extra cost, all regions where workspaces is available, away you go. So that's a pretty nice change available to you there. Now, if you're a developer and you're doing any sort of mobile development, you should have looked at AWS Mobile Hub. It's actually a really powerful central location to kick off your latest project and have the Mobile Hub do all the work to set up all the AWS resources, give you template information, um, build things out for, for Android or for iOS, etc. And now they've added JavaScript hosting and streaming for application development, testing, and production. So if you're a JavaScript developer, you can now create cloud-enabled mobile, web, or hybrid apps for both testing and production environments. It will basically pre-configure an Amazon S3 static website 
and Amazon CloudFront distribution for you to use. It also does automated generation, auto, auto generated, I should say, as I said, I'm traveling, auto generated JavaScript configuration files and allows you to import and export as well. And it also lets you consume anything that's in, obviously in the AWS JavaScript SDK. You also get a sample app, so you can see how to do things using uh, uh, Amazon Cognito, for example. It basically gives you a simple one-click experience. So it's really something to have a look at. So if you're a developer, that is something you should check out. And another thing I know a lot of developers like is this brave new world of IoT. And uh, one of the things that has proved really popular is the AWS IoT button. And this is now available for developers in Europe. Um, so you can order it in the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Italy, Spain, uh, and sorry, Italy and Spain from the local Amazon retail websites. Now, this is a Wi-Fi device that can be used to test, pilot, and deploy ideas without any hardware, firmware, network protocols, etc. Basically, you press the button and interesting stuff can happen. Uh, and really, it's up to you what you want to build. I've had people build home automation things, ordering, feedback, notifications, a whole bunch of different things. Of course, it integrates with the AWS IoT service, AWS Lambda, DynamoDB, SNS, and lots of other things as well. So if you're a Europe-based developer, this is a good piece of news for you. And another thing for developers, if you are an Amazon EC2 container service user, so ECS, um, which is a great place to run Docker containers, there are two new things that have been added. Firstly, there is now console support for spot fleet creation. So in the past, you had to create your spot fleet separately that you could use with ECS. Now it's built into the overall experience. And I recommend you look at using that because it can reduce your spend by 50 to 90% compared to using on-demand instances. So it's a really nice thing to use in this kind of model. The other thing that ECS now supports is the ability to run tasks on a regular scheduled basis and in response to CloudWatch events. So this means you can run things that only need to run at certain particular times. So instead of having to run them manually or creating your own scheduling type stuff, it all happens interactively through the service itself. So you can schedule tasks through the uh, ECS console at fixed, fixed time intervals. So you can do things like uh, number of minutes, hours or days, or you can have it completely be a CloudWatch events target, which means that any time a CloudWatch event takes place, you can kick off your particular task. So these are two really powerful changes that allow you to get the most out of the uh, EC2 container service. Now, something for the more administrative-minded rather than the developer-minded, although these days of DevOps, everything gets combined together, um, Amazon EC2 Systems Manager now has support for SUSE Linux. Now, if you haven't come across Systems Manager, it's actually a really interesting service you should have a look at. It allows you to automatically collect software inventory, apply operating system patches, create system images, and configure operating systems. So it's a Funnily enough, a management platform uh, operates across Windows and Linux. And now, of course, SUSE Linux is going to be included in that family. The other change is that you can now sync Amazon EC2 Systems Manager inventory data into S3 buckets. So, of course, once it's in S3 buckets, you can send lots of different accounts into that. You can use things like um, uh, Amazon Athena to run queries over it. You can use QuickSight to visualize your inventory. It really opens up a world of reporting beyond what systems manager does itself. So a couple of really interesting changes there and certainly a service um, I'm going to dive into in the future. Now, if you are developing applications in the mobile world, you're probably all about engagement and you do push notifications, etc. And if you do, you should have looked at Amazon Pinpoint, uh, which is a great service to help you do that. 
Now, Amazon Pinpoint has now added SMS text messaging and email support so you can have multi-channel messaging. You can do campaigns, you could do analytics. It's a very, very powerful solution that integrates all those different channels together. You can do things like measure uh, message relevance, effectiveness, engagement, um, and of course, you can create that iterative cycle between what you're doing with your customers and how they're responding and figuring out better ways to service them as well. Now, it's a really easy way to get started. Again, you can start with the AWS Mobile Hub, which we've already mentioned during this episode. Um, you can message particular segments, users. You can choose which channel, which message, etc. You can do very targeted campaigns. It really is a very uh, nuanced service that allows you to get right to the right users all the time rather than doing sort of the big blast as well. Now, Amazon Pinpoint is available in US East 1 in North Virginia. And um, that's the place you can use that particular service uh, straight away. Now, let's talk a bit about the data tier. So one of the things we see a lot of customers doing is, of course, migrating from legacy data warehouses and databases. And this is often because they tend to be very expensive. They often use uh, custom or very specific hardware, and they're just not serving what the, uh, the particular organization needs to do with that particular data. And a great destination for that is, of course, Amazon Redshift. So one of the changes that's recently taken place is that the AWS Schema Conversion Tool has now expanded its support to cover a wider range of commercial data warehouses. So you can convert and extract data from legacy versions of Teradata, so version 13 and above, and Oracle Data Warehouse version 10G and above for direct import into Amazon Redshift. So this means you don't have to do an in-place upgrade of your source database before moving it to Redshift. So this expands what you can move without any uh, conversion work or trouble. The schema conversion tool is pretty nifty. It actually goes through and operates uh, a lot of changes in terms of the schema itself and also triggers and other things as well to help you identify what your migration would look like and how it would take place. Now, of course, the nice thing is you can spin up a small uh, Amazon Redshift cluster and do a test run before you do the full big bang conversion. The nice thing here now is we can do older versions of data warehouses without having to do the intermediate step of upgrading it as well. So that was the old, let's talk about the new. So I'm a huge fan of Amazon DynamoDB. It is a pretty amazing service. It has uh, more than 100,000 customers across a huge range of industries and use cases. And these customers really depend on the consistent performance at any scale and the fact that it's a service available in 16 different regions around the world. Now, we're seeing a lot of use of DynamoDB to power serverless applications. And this kind of makes sense because you know serverless reduces your operational workload. It scales very granularly. You pay for what you use, pay as you go. DynamoDB is similar in that you don't have to provision servers or do patching or database upgrades, etc. You don't even have to do replication. It's done for you. However, in the past, you had to set the amount of read and write capacity. And that kind of meant you had to think about what the performance profile looked like. So a long time ask from customers, and we do like to answer customer ask, is auto scaling for DynamoDB. So now you can automate the capacity management for your tables and global secondary indexes as well. And they've done a pretty good job, I've got to say, it's pretty easy. All you do is specify the desired target utilization and then provide an upper bound and lower bound for read and write capacity. Then DynamoDB will monitor the throughput using CloudWatch alarms and will provision and adjust the provisioning automatically on your behalf. So this is really nice because you're basically not even having to talk about what steps you want to take. You simply say, for example, 
um, I want to have a target utilization of 70% and it'll always maintain 70% within those minimum and maximum provisions that you have as well. Now, this can go up and down multiple times as well. And you should always have enough headroom to have sort of uh, immediate sort of skips of capacity, etc., that tend to happen in unpredictable events. This is a really useful service when you have reasonably consistent scaling up and down during the day. And you know, many, many applications show this. They have peaks and troughs of workloads that take place. So this really fits into that really, really nicely. And now two more things to wrap up today. The first thing is AWS OpsWorks Stacks now has custom tagging support. So this means that when you assign a particular tag to a stack or a layer, it will automatically propagate the tags all the way down to things like EC2, ELBs, RDS, etc. So it makes it really easy to help you break down costs for a particular environment or software component level as well. So that is available now in all the regions that AWS OpsWorks is available to you. And lucky last, if you've ever looked at the AWS Storage Gateway, which is a way to store and retrieve Amazon S3 objects through standard file storage protocols, but you happen to run Hyper-V as your virtualization of choice, um, guess what? AWS Storage Gateway now supports Microsoft Hyper-V. So it includes Hyper-V 2008 R2 and 2012. This is in addition to VMware support and running it, of course, on Amazon EC2 as well. So a nice one there if uh, that's something you wanted to look at, but you couldn't do it on your on-premises infrastructure because the uh, virtualization support wasn't there. Well, how it is. So that is a whole bunch of stuff. I hope there was something in there for you and uh, look forward to speaking to you soon. As always, we like to get your feedback, podcast at amazon.com. Apologies for, again for the sound and a little bit of the tiredness, but um, travel does it to you. But as always, until next time, keep on building.